Welcome back to Mechanical Freak, a podcast you all know and love on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia. Today, we have Brian here, no Greg, and we are on search for the deadliest catch. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the crabs have gone missing, and so has Greg. Coincidence? Coincidence. <laughs> Just a Munya and Brian episode this week, folks. Uh, you know, your, your favorite Ending the Myth hosts. Uh, we're going to be doing the main app now. So if you're an Ending the Myth listener only, uh, you could be like, wow, these guys are talking about, uh, you know, current stuff that's happening in America. <laughs> and that's cool. It's a little little twist on an old classic. Uh, so anyways, the crab story goes back to 1890. Now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seattle first got crabs in the 1890s. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we yeah. won't specify which kind. <laughs> yeah, it's not a coincidence that I saw Greg and Nyad selling off into the sunset, uh, you know, right when these billion crabs went missing. So it's weird, isn't it? Like, it's like, why is our one maritime boy suddenly gone? And. <laughs> potentially flushed with cash now like i did see him like buy a like a land boat you know flush with chinese yuan see yeah yeah he was asking for like where where can i like exchange one that's not like a traditional bank and we were like oh that's kind of a weird specific question to ask but i just i guess we could find someone uh, to our apes but you know yeah yeah i know well uh, yeah i mean For those who, you know, have had their head under a rock early this week, uh, there was a story that came out that Alaska snow crab season has been canceled due to the disappearance of an estimated one billion crabs. That's a lot of crabs. Yeah, it sounds like like almost like a glitch or something, you know, like (laughs) how does just a billion crabs like, you know, just go away? Yeah, somebody was like, I call bullshit the story because how, you know, who would have counted all those crabs to know they're missing? And I was like, <laughs> we've really reached a point where uh, people just don't know how things work or whatever. But yeah. in yeah. case anybody has that thought, uh, Alaska Fish and Wildlife, uh, along with uh, NOAA, which is the National Oceanic, whatever, you know, the federal agency that watches the water. Uh, they do surveys Very big in Seattle. Yeah, they, they do surveys of the shelf. Right. And they in the surveys, they use drones to like count crabs and they extrapolate from these counts, you know, how many crabs they think are available, uh, at which point they were like, uh, all the crabs, all, all, all our crabs gone. <laughs> <laughs> they did the survey for the season. <laughs> all our crabs gone. And uh, it led to a bit of a panic on Twitter. Right. Yeah, so you know, this is a really big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for our seafood industry. It's a big deal for, you know, restaurants and really a big deal for the climate in general, right? Because um it doesn't uh just happen by fluke that a billion mm-hmm. crabs just disappear, which is 90% of the total by the way. This is not just like a drop in the bucket. This is like yeah. basically all of the snow crabs around, right? So yeah. Um, for that to disappear just in one season is pretty uh, 
eye-opening it sounded fake mm-hmm. you know even be, because it was such a big number but it's but it's real right so like brian how how does something like this happen in just one season <laughs> and could we ever have seen this coming <laughs> yeah exactly right well uh this is one of these things that i i get in, on the national news perspective right why this caught a lot of people by surprise but certainly for those who are paying attention in the seattle area uh, where crabbing is big business, there have been drips and drabs about this for at least a decade that the fishery was essentially going to disappear. And to cut to the chase, the answer is climate change plus overfishing, right? Mm. So the fishery is being wildly overfished. The reason being that snow crab can, the profit margin on snow crab is very high. And, Which is why Greg is out in Alaska right now. Yeah. No, it's why he's on Nyad with all the billion crabs going towards steaming towards Shanghai as we speak. Yep. Um, but yeah. You just travel anywhere on that boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was weird when he got that big ass net, you know, when we thought and he said he was like building like a basketball gym for underrepresented youth for like a tax for a Kamala Harris tax break. <laughs> so the the thing is is that because there's a big profit margin in it uh every year and they've known since the late 90s that there's a problem right with overfishing so like i said alaska fish and wildlife the national oceanic and atmospheric administration all do these surveys and they put forward recommendations and supposedly enforceable limits on the amount of crabbing that can be done and uh you know because this is not a real crime like stealing a fucking, you know, apple from QFC. Yeah. Uh, there's no enforcement or anything, really. So one of the things that people have been noticing for a decade is that the crabs were getting smaller and smaller in a lot of these fisheries, meaning that essentially they were fishing the crabs younger and younger. So when you have like a fishery like this, you want the crabs to get to a certain size, I mean, a certain age before you harvest them. Right. So that you're not just killing off all the youth of the crab population, guaranteeing no future population can be, you know, created. Right. Well, you know, the fishermen don't give a fuck about any of that shit. So they just fucking harvested it all right and so partially the crabs were getting smaller indicating overfishing uh one of the other issues was they continued to see that the crab yield or the total population was declining since 1999 but they kept discussing overfishing as being you know a percentage of the previous year's population so even though the 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 crab population was declining dramatically what became labeled as overfishing basically kept going down with the population right which allowed for higher and higher levels of overfishing um so basically because so they're saying for instance these are not the actual numbers but hypothetically they could be like uh overfishing was like 10 percent, right and then the next mm -hmm. year it was seven percent therefore they would keep it at 10 percent. but the thing is you would have like a billion crab one year and like half a million or Uh, 500 million one year and but the overfishing amount would stay at 10 percent, right you know uh, whatever like like, you know so they were doing like overfishing as like percentages of the previous year's stock yeah okay and so it was like it was it basically meant that by the time so last year the fishery was declared to be overfished uh which they'd done previously in 1999 but the amount of crab was in 
2021 was one quarter the amount of crab that were there in 1999 when it was already declared overfished, right? So, which is a long way of saying that the fishing industry basically was flexing its muscle within the Alaska Fish and Wildlife, uh, you know, uh, bureaucracy within NOAA and essentially changing what the definition of overfishing was to guarantee that they could overfish the fishery. Right. Um, now the, you know, one, one part of this, uh, Greg actually ended up finding this is the last known, uh, message we got from Greg was he sent this, uh, thing from April, 2021 from an organization called public employees for environmental responsibility, uh, where they had filed a complaint against Noah about the red king crab, which has already been overfished into essentially extinction within American fisheries, uh, basically saying that NOAA and Alaska Fish and Wildlife had year over year contributed to overfishing by essentially covering for it, uh, deaths that were seen from overfishing, massive die-offs and things like that, they would write off as natural occurrences as opposed to the result <laughs> of overfishing, et cetera, et cetera, to ensure the overfishing continued because, again, there's a shit ton of money in crabs, right? So in crabbing. So they basically every incentive was to overfish the fishery. So the other component here now is the climate change part, which is, Munya, have you heard this? Uh, the ocean's getting warmer. Damn. What? <laughs> so crabs like the water to be very cold and the ocean's getting well, warmer. Well, good news for them because the icebergs are melting, making <laughs> the net, you know, surface area of the ocean colder. You don't understand this, Brian. Like it's, this is actually a boon for the crabs, right? Because it's, it's like dousing water. them with cold water. It's ice water. <laughs> so the story of the crabs, so everyone on the internet was trying, all the science, all the internet sleuths were trying to figure out, did the crabs die off or did they just move? And the answer is both, right? That we overfished it, so we killed a shit ton of them. But they've also been migrating, uh, migrating north, you know, through the Bering Strait, actually, ironically, into Russian fishing waters. (laughs) 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 But that migration... Oh, wait, Brian. Okay, that means that it's actually Putin who is on the uh, Pacific shore of East Russia with a with a um satellite beam brainwashing all of the crabs to come to their side to become um to become communists uh well that's yes. that's what uh that's what's happening right there's a kremlin backed project to build underwater speakers playing tattoo's debut album to lure the crabs <laughs> yeah. uh closer and closer to the russian shores they, no, they but- hit they hit the activation switch on the crabs <laughs> exactly uh no uh, because of like currents and you know distance to the Antarctic, or to the north pole or whatever the water is just colder on the Russian side of the Bering Strait. And so the crabs are moving. If, if they at least it's suspected are moving that direction as well. So it's a migratory issue and an overfishing issue. The migratory issue caused by climate change. Now, like I said, in drips and drabs in Seattle for like 10 years, you would hear this story over and over again, that there was a worry that the uh, crab fishery, you know, was declining and could collapse. Now, even locally, that story was not given the amount of attention and stuff it should have 
for a major industry heading towards disaster in the region. <laughs> uh, but it also got zero coverage nationally. And if you even if you go now back and try and like search it uh, for stories on it nationally, it's pretty much impossible to find. It's all like Pacific Northwest and Alaska sources that you can find on it. Um, but that's, I think, why everybody was caught by surprise. People here who kind of remembered some of that stuff, it was just like, oh, it happened. You know, yeah. And the big surprise was that it happened a couple of years earlier. I think that people were expecting. They were expecting more like the the t- mid twenty twenties to maybe out to twenty thirty. But it, it like all climate change disasters, it's happening faster than expected. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think it shows that relationship too, which we sometimes forget of the relationship between capital accumulation and climate change. Not just that capital accumulation's the creator of climate change, but also that. Uh, it's exacerbating some of these problems. Now, a funny side note is uh, wild sockeye salmon harvests have been off the fucking charts for the last several years. And the reason, again, is because the warmer water is actually more conducive to that harvest and to those fisheries than it is to the crab harvest. So they're moving, they're migrating north and giving these like record harvests, which means that ultimately what's going to happen is the center of gravity of the uh, fishing industry here is going to move from crabbing as that vanishes entirely to salmon. And then uh, because they're going to be making money, lots of money on these harvests, uh, we'll stop hearing about climate change because now it's benefiting business and it'll just leave the, you know, yeah. Oh, the, now the it's fact not that a all the crabs are gone will no longer be a discussion, right? This That's is my just prediction. the <laughs> Darwinian way of life and natural selection, Brian. Okay. Like uh, if you look at the, let's take it back to Gilgamesh. All right. Um, you know, <laughs> to the Sumeria, uh, what happened there? There was a lot of things that changed from then to now. And uh, look where, I mean, you know, climate change has like killed off whole species and we, what do we do? We adapted. All right. So, so yeah, you, we could say bye to crabs because this is, this is, this is basically, um, nature taking its rightful course. And, um, you know, now, now we can like live in a salmon zone. This is actually a sign from the heavens of God that, <laughs> uh, is time to just move on from the old and get in mm-hmm. with the new, which is salmon. Well, Moody, of course, is taking the very religious side of this, which we've come to expect on the show. And let me take the material aside. I mean, you guys say you love dialectics so much. Dialectics is the study of change, yet you're mad about and don't like climate change. Whoa! Uh, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, you know, a little bit hypocritical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but seriously, capitalism is going to kill us. Uh, 100%. <laughs> yeah, whether it's psycho evangelicals or or you know fucking like you know um, disaster scientists, like it's it's the same, propping mm-hmm. up the same bullshit, right? Like yeah. ultimately. So yeah, I mean, like, and and there's this quote that's so funny because like it says, um, quote, environmental conditions are changing rapidly. Dolly says. We've seen warm conditions in the Bering Sea the last couple of years, and we're seeing a response to uh, cold-adapted species. So it's pretty obvious this is connected. It is the canary in the coal mine for other species that need cold water, right? Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's uh, the stuff that's happening in the oceans is uh, not good 
<laughs> no, I mean it's 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 bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, which you know most of like the Earth's biomass is on the ocean, um, and these rapid shifts. I mean, part of the problem with some of these rapid shifts in temperature and stuff is that it does create an unpredictable uh, sort of an unpredictable series of results and that you you don't know exactly how i mean you have an idea but you don't know exactly how like the various animal species and stuff within the ocean are going to react to this and you know i guess we're just not going to keep rolling the dice on it and see what happens but, but yeah it seems man, i like mean if marine life dies that's a big part of like i mean like let's not even we can talk about just oh well we can't eat this and that but i mean even just more on a just on a higher level, like just like the ecology of the world in general will be so fucked and out of whack where even it doesn't just stay in the ocean. Right. It's not just yeah. something that is just like limited to that. And of course, I'm not even talking about just climate change, but just the climate change of the ocean specifically. And, you know, all of these animals suddenly dying off or like changing in unpredictable ways that that is going to have a really direct and consequential impact our life in ways that i don't really even know yet um yeah, yeah. but we're already seeing it happen right and this is just like this is, this is just like one categorically kind of like a small case even though it's like all the crabs are gone like to what the potential damage of the warming of the ocean can do um really will feel like so to speak a drop in the ocean right if mm -hmm. all of the whales die for instance right or like yeah. all of the fish in general um you know are gone or even like the bacteria right there's so um many this is where like a lot of life is so well the thing is i mean that's the unpredictable nature of some of the stuff is you could you know end up with food chain collapses and stuff like that that you know have knock-on effects with other species that you just have no that you can't calculate out i mean yeah climates it's so complicated i mean this is the thing is every every bad prediction about climate change has come true and they've all come true faster than expected and it's because the you know the sort of knock-on cycles and stuff that are being enacted are so impossible to predict other than the fact that you just know it's going to get worse yeah <laughs> there's all inter interconnected at some point yeah. like no species just lives in a vacuum on its own yeah um you know it's all there's all dependency on a whole ecology right and so yeah. if that is out of whack i mean there's just some shit that you won't even know of i mean even birds will start dropping from the ground yeah. like you know i mean and and that, that will lead to stuff that you know capitalism really does like depend on and civilization depends on as like mm -hmm. you know as humanity itself like we depend on these like really fragile things like working all the time and to see it collapsing it's so fast and advanced and like you know is is just mind-blowing to me well capitalism you know it operates as if it has no limits right you know it's uh metabolism it's desire to metabolize everything around it is if, if the planet has limitless resources and we're living through currently it's not in the future or whatever we're in the middle of a mass die-off that shows in fact there are fucking limits and yeah um you know that's a for those dialectics heads out there that's a contradiction in capitalism yep. between what it requires to operate versus the like natural world that it operates in and um 
you know, currently one of the contradictions of capitalism. If you really had to pick, you know, one or two, like yeah, that, it's certainly the one that uh, seems like it's going to kill us. Yeah, and uh, you know, I mean, you know, something worth considering next time you get upset about kids throwing uh, non-edible food on glass at a thing. Like, <laughs> you know. Maybe it's which goofy. is almost certainly like an op, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's goofy. Maybe it's cringe. Maybe it's op. But the real story is who cares? Yeah. Who the fuck cares? <laughs> who gives a shit? Right. Compared it's to a actual distraction problems, people. Who cares? It is a distraction. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what's not a distraction, Munya. Yeah. Sports. <laughs> Welcome to Brian's Sports Corner. I keep trying to like maybe find a drop for the sports quarter, but I think it's I think with our da na na da is good enough. You know, yeah, we don't need a drop. Fucking rules. <laughs> well, uh, Munya, it's that time of the year again where I have to watch regular television. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, I have to. Uh, yeah. I have to watch approximately twelve hours of football on Sunday. <sighs> As well as another do you ever, additional do you, four do you, on Monday and Thursday. I have a question for you. Um, mm-hmm. Like knowing what you know about advertising and everything, um, like and you not being just like a regular like network TV watcher, um, except for when football's on. Do you mute the ads like when they come on? Oh like, yeah, I you, always I always mute the ads because yeah, I find them okay. very obnoxious. That I've been watching football this year. Normally, I would watch it on Russian streams, but because. I'm, you know, standing with Ukraine. I'm watching on Hulu this year, <laughs> and uh, Hulu. Dude, can... that 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 you that Ukraine flag in your uh, Instagram or bio, <laughs> uh, dude. Your, your Instagram gra- infographics are really paying off, man. You're really putting your money where your mouth is. That's yeah. solidarity right there. The plus size, a lot of those Russian streams, uh, a big chunk of the commercials are missing because they're like, there's like a an insert for local ads and stuff like that that's just gone on their version oh. of it. Um, you know, so you just get a logo that just is like NFL or whatever. Right? Yeah, right. It, which is kind of nice, but uh, for whatever reason, I've been watching them on Hulu, so I've, I've been fully uh, exposed to all the ads and the. Uh, it's kind of nice to check in every year on what people watch on on network television. Yeah, it's always, I think it's good to shocking. be tapped in. It's you know, it's never like you know within uh, like cultures and subcultures, right? Like it's really easy to kind of go too deep where where you're like. Uh, you know become the person who's like almost like a little too like esoteric with it uh mm-hmm. and like then tapped out to like what people are actually doing you know yeah. and uh it always really snaps me right back into reality doing football season because i get to see like what is being marketed to people and like yeah. you know why uh, just everybody like, is so insane in this country right yeah. and it's like oh okay like this is the fifth cop show that's been like mm-hmm. you know uh, Bob Costas has been talking about or whatever fucking uh, you know yeah, it's like, like like on CBS Wednesdays which I know from watching football now has a primetime lineup of three straight hours of Chicago based emergency programming so there's Chicago medical Chicago fire and Chicago police or whatever the cop one is that are all just cop shows. Right. But yeah. All based. It's just part different of sh- types of cops. All in the Chicago verse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's the Chicago uh, extended universe and the Chicago verse is just like, 
I, you know, pretty soon we're going to have like probably cop shows in San Antonio because they ran out of cities. I mean, <laughs> Chicago, I mean, is already it, it, being in Chicago one, I think, is a sign of like just where cities are at this point, because I mean, like they tapped out of New York, right? Mm-hmm. New York was the first one that there, they've there done. Too and many they just, New York like, shows. Too many New York saturated. shows. They had to go to L.A., right? Mm-hmm. The second largest city in the U.S., right? Do some shit about the LAPD. Make Southland for any of uh, the <laughs> uh, people. The NBC heads out there who were watching like Community, Parks and Rec, 30 Rock, and The Office back to back to back to back. An iconic <laughs> era of network television. Um, you probably caught Southland, too, accidentally. And, mm-hmm. you know... Um, so I was like based in L.A. and then they had the ambulance, fire department, et cetera, all based in L.A. Now, I mean, that's all tapped out, too. So now they have to go to like, you know, the third largest city in the U.S., mm-hmm. Chicago. And, you know, not coincidentally, this is where like just the fucking like, you know, where mass media and just like conservatives are like up in arms about them believing that that's where like you know mad max style like uh <laughs> organized gang violence is happening i guess yeah. uh, as, as much like, as we laugh about like everybody's like meatball and peepaw thinking seattle burned to the ground i would venture a guess that 70 percent of americans think that chicago is fury road like <laughs> yeah know? like if you go to chicago you are murdered like right. five minutes into being there, you know. No, yeah, you're like, um, you're murdered for like walking down the street, and like the, I, I love the I love the folklore of like thinking like, uh, if you like put your finger up like one finger up in the air that's actually a gang sign and someone will like just like shoot you at like just immediately because they thought that you threw up a gang sign you know like yeah i'm sorry you're you're white mima who's like walking like (laughs) in the loop in chicago is like not gonna get gunned down by like o-block and like gbe dude i'm sorry like (laughs) (laughs) oh shit yeah oh shit she's an o-block by the way i like that you have a nerd gang who just has a meek like finger in the air yeah one finger yeah (laughs) like to like the index finger to like point like the ridge of their glasses you know yeah yeah Yeah, it's like a hans the gang started by hans molten essentially yeah (laughs) but uh but yeah you know so i I, yeah i think you're right i think it shows where the like psychology of the country is or where the fear matrix is moved towards which is chicago right which is gonna get tapped out though they've been like mm -hmm, ringing chicago for so much man like they gotta find another and that's why the SPD cop drama is coming to a TV <laughs> near you in a decade's time. I promise you there's we already have Tacoma fire, right? Like, we, oh, that's they, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's close. We're close to having like our our Mike Solon like reincarnation on TV. Oh, I can't wait. That's going to be a great day for this show. I'll tell you. that. Oh, man. Oh yeah, uh, maybe we can get on it. You know, um, I hope so. We should, we should, we should. You know, well, uh, like, for the work in the community we've done, like us and Justin should, like you know, from Divest SPD should all like yeah. get a spot. Uh, the problem is, like everything that's like it takes place in Seattle, it's going to be shot in Vancouver, so we're not going to be able to make it work. Yeah, but, that's you true. Know. Hey, well, you know, we could, you know, COVID is over now, so we can mm-hmm. go across that border and. uh Get a little Vancouver gig, make our taxes. No. We need to just do a caravan of all the divest SPD organizers to like, you know, all play like extra roles and like, you know, even main character <laughs> roles. Just try to fill it out. That would just be a really funny bit. 
It'll be like a, <laughs> a like a postmodern kind of bit that we do. Yeah, it'll rock. Yeah. Uh, so you know, in between the ads, though, Munya, there's this thing called the game of football that happens. And, oh, damn! Crazy. Uh, I like to tell you a football story here uh, that actually began several years ago, but really hit uh, a big breaking point last week. Uh, This football story involves the Washington football team and their owner, Dan Snyder. Now, off my notoriously cool guy. (laughs) Yeah. And off my, you confided to me that you were, you were not uh, fully up to date on uh, the story. No, because like whenever I hear news about the NFL commissioner, Roger Goodell, like my, I like, just my eyes glaze over and I'm like, uh, no pass because it's always like some headline, like, um, random guy who got like, you know, like shit canned four years ago for like saying a racial slur says that Roger Goodell, he, he has something mm-hmm. big on Roger Goodell. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, man. Well, like, Munia, I want you to see, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my gang sign at you on camera okay. here. I got my finger pointed there up in go. the air. Point of water, sir. Point of water, sir. Uh, Dan Snyder never got fired for shit. Dan Snyder still owns the fucking Washington. Well, there you go. So now I'm that. This is why, Brian, my interest is peaked now because usually it is some shit like that. Now, Dan Snyder is an actual person who owns the hundreds like fucking Robert Kraft going out Mm -hmm. against the commissioner. These guys have to sit in boardrooms and shit together, you know, like. Yeah. So let's let's rewind the tape a little here. And, uh, you know, what? Why is Dan Snyder in the thought you said? Well, for years, uh, rumors swirled around the goings on at the Washington football team head office. Uh, these rumors, I think they had always kind of been under the surface, but they started to percolate up a little more as, you know, Native American groups and other organizations were protesting their previously uh, previous name, which was extremely racist. And Dan Snyder's, uh, let's just say, very spirited resistance to changing said racist name. He really, really cared about that racist name. Oh, yeah. He basically said, over my dead body, I'm never changing this fucking name. And then... And there's nothing that he could do. Like, if he says that, like... That yep. he that can actually be the word of like yeah sure it, it's his fiefdom he can do as he pleases right the yep. only person who can make him the only people who can make him do anything are the other NFL owners, uh which you know we'll get into them later but mm-hmm. so what happened was is the rumors that sort of always always been on the surface started to percolate to the top about you know uh sexual harassment within the organization uh financial misdeeds from Snyder and his family, like embezzling money from the organization and things like that, Uh, as well as, and this is the funny part because it's been now totally forgotten Epstein level, like including trafficking and now fans, longtime fans of the show will know that I think at one point I referenced this on the show. (laughs) It gave a little thing about it uh, years ago, but, uh, Basically, what was happening was that Dan Snyder was taking cheerleaders for the organization 
and taking them to events that had, you know, important business, you know, people at it that he wanted investing or whatever, right? Whatever fucking Hey, you want to be a Victoria's Secret model? Exactly. And essentially prostituting the cheerleaders to these businessmen right now. There's also stories that he just did this with like other random women too, that he maybe did this at international meetings, which means that he basically was involved Mm. in international sex trafficking and things Mm. like that. Right now, once these accusations started to make reach the mainstream, the NFL realized they had to do something. They launched an investigation last year. Uh, They narrowed the scope of the investigation to simply sexual harassment and office culture and then they promptly <laughs> didn't release the report citing their concern the nfl's concern for the privacy of the cheerleaders right who oh. by the way it was well known the cheerleaders had basically oh. or some of the people who had spoken out most you know vi- you know vigorously about the things going on in the washington headquarters but the nfl ones you know they're protecting the privacy of them uh, you can find the name of cheerle- of any team's cheerleading squad from any year at any time, right? Like this, they're not a secretive organization. That the NFL is no, what are you talking about? Of, they you know, they like- are the cabal that that Kanye was referring to. Like they are the <laughs> like Illuminati, essentially. Exactly, and I mean, it would it, we could spend a whole episode talking about how poorly treated uh, NFL cheerleaders are in uh, in the league. I mean, but- if you're an NFL fan, you really like gotta like know just how bad it is for like nfl chile it's like worse than you would even think to give i mean one i mean you know the fact that uh dsire felt that he could essentially like prostitute the cheerleaders out and force them into you know doing sexual bargaining for him so he could close a real estate deal uh that's pretty fucking bad uh on the more public side of things uh there was a big lawsuit against the philadelphia eagles where the cheerleaders had sued the team because in the Eagles stadium, uh, there have been holes drilled between the visitor locker room and the cheerleaders locker room. There've been holes like put in the walls there. And the cheerleaders would say, when we were changing the other players would just watch them as well as they had a door that separated the two locker rooms that had no lock on it. So players would just walk in to like the cheerleaders locker room and shit. And, this had been going on for years and years and years. And of course the Eagles organization refused to do anything about it until they essentially filed a lawsuit against them. But I mean, this is like the standard treatment of cheerleaders in the sport. Look up the pay of Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders. If you want another funny story, but you know, yeah. I mean, to give you a hint, it's like, you know, like they get paid like $150 a game. Uh, Munya, it's cute that you think they got paid that much. Uh, the standard salary was $1 a game, and then they pushed up to $5 a game, saying uh, the reason why they weren't, uh, you know, they didn't have to abide by minimum wage laws was that it's not a real job. It's and a contract. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, you shouldn't expect Well, they wage. get to be their own boss, Brian. No. They, they're they're entrepreneurs uh, <laughs> who are are just like young go getters who are d- getting a lot of exposure, you know. So yeah, and so you know this is the leak, right? And so Roger Goodell did what he always did, which was when this stuff had finally percolated to a level that people were upset, 
He launched an investigation. The whole point of the investigation was to squash all the discussion of this stuff. And in the end, the league just did nothing, right? They suspended Dan Snyder from his team and let his wife run the team. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, just joke shit, you know, total joke shit. Yeah, I mean, classic like sports governance right there. Yeah. Now, the one thing putting really- faith into sports governance is like we're literally putting faith into like the criminal punishment system in the U.S. Like it's oh, the yeah. same shit. It's like, oh, they're going to bring the hammer down on this guy. They're going <laughs> to yeah. find this team a lot. Yeah. Like a guy yeah, who runs like- one of their most profitable franchises. Yeah. Right? yeah. You know, like, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, so the other funny thing that happened at that time is when that stuff had percolated up, especially the stuff about maybe like sex trafficking and stuff. All of a sudden, Dan Snyder changed his opinion about the team name and it, the, the change in a feeling about the team name happened so quickly that they didn't even have a name for the team. So all of last season, they went under the moniker Washington football team, mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally Washington name so to be funny. decided later. Uh, yeah, I, they should be forced very, to keep that name, by the way. I don't they think should. they should be allowed to change. They shouldn't it, have but, been uh, allowed to change it. They should have just had to keep it like that. Yeah, so they, of course this season they changed to Washington Commanders, but you know the the quick turnaround on that team name thing is directly related to the uh, allegations of like sexual abuse and stuff at the organization itself. Now, if you say this all sounds very salacious, I'll point out that also this at the beginning of the summer this year it was discovered that the New Orleans Saints were like you know uh, you know neck deep in a pedophile scandal with the catholic church in new orleans and the saints organization was essentially helping run cover for the catholic church about this like mass pedophile ring they had going on so anyways not a not a washington only problem and we have, uh we, the, the, <laughs> this is what rich people do this is the this is the actual like takeaway but yeah 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 uh there's a pedophile scandal folks you hear about this you hear about this uh, <laughs> yeah. turns out with the catholic church turns out they weren't much saints after all oh, got them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so you know again i mean just to give you an idea of like how gross these organizations are so anyways what what has happened right you know well basically last week the espn released a bombshell story long twenty thousand word story you know full of you know unnamed sources stating that NFL owners were upset with Snyder and wanted to get rid of him, that Jerry Jones, who's the most powerful owner in the NFL and has always been Dan Snyder's defender, has finally switched sides (laughs) and wants Dan Snyder to sell the team. (laughs) You lost Jerry Jones? Lost Jerry. Then, combined with the insiders with the Washington football organization, we're saying that upon hearing this information, hearing this news, Dan Snyder had hired private investigators to start doing oppo files on all the other owners, specifically Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell, uh, in order basically threatening them with blackmail. Again, another connection to the Epstein case, by the way, threatening them with blackmail that basically if they tried to take him down, he was going to essentially air out all their dirty laundry. Now, this is where I jokingly said earlier that, look, Roger Goodell might be a part of the story, actually. I 
don't think that it's impossible that right so there's an owner source in the story unnamed i don't think that it's impossible that that's roger goodell or that roger goodell gave somebody the permission to do it all right like like to to leak the information to leak the information to espn that the owners had turned against dan snyder and we're going to try and force them out right yeah um you know, look, there's only 32 owners in the NFL, right? So yeah. being an anonymous source is like not uh, something that they'll just do. Uh, and, you know, it's the whole situation is very curious now. Um, there were some interesting quotes. I mean, uh, this is one from the story. Uh, Snyder reportedly said the NFL is a mafia and all the owners hate each other, to which this mysterious uh, un, you know, masked owner replied, that's not true. All the owners hate Dan, <laughs> which is just funny. <laughs> but uh, but uh, So much vi- for class solidarity. Am I right, folks? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the interesting part because buried deep in the story, which no, because the story so long, nobody got to is some important details that I want to get into about what this is all about. Why do the owners all of a sudden give a shit about Dan Snyder? I've told you that they've covered for him all the way up to this point. Why do they care? And the story actually does release some very important information, which is the thing that owners are mad about is that Dan Snyder won't build a new stadium. And they've talked about how they think that the Washington football organization has not produced a good product, meaning the teams haven't been good, and he refuses to build a new stadium, and his toxic, you know, shit around him makes it impossible for figures in D.C., political figures, to fork over the money for a new stadium, which the NFL... Because that's how stadium gets built. Yeah, and the NFL has basically already brokered deals, but they feel that Snyder's an impediment to this deal. And it has this like i think bombshell quote buried in the article which is the writer you know talking to this masked owner asks could the owners forgive snyder if he just built a new stadium and then they write the owner quickly replied yes now keep in mind the crimes that we've talked about with dan snyder (laughs) fraud embezzlement right a yeah, underperforming, of uh, underperforming physical <laughs> year 2022 uh, <laughs> financial earnings. Yeah, the biggest uh, yeah. crime of all. Crime, right? You know, possible sex trafficking. Right? Again, they're willing to forgive all of that. Again, as you said, if he could just perform in fiscal year 2022. <laughs> and it cuts to the heart of what the NFL is, too, which is that this all came down to a stadium, which is the NFL is a real estate scam wrapped in a packaging of sports right yeah <laughs> you know it's and- it, it's it's a literally real estate conspiracy the whole business <laughs> around the nfl is like a real estate conspiracy yeah and it was just super telling because you know it, the nfl is very tight-lipped right the organization is very tight-lipped so the, for this report to come out which especially at espn which espn is not a investigative organization right the <laughs> yeah. espn takes you know uh press releases from the nfl and then makes Stephen a smith read them on air right yeah. like yeah. like in which was kind of interesting i went and watched all the talking heads uh windbag moron T- tony kornheiser was like 
going hard against Dan Snyder and like he's gotta go and all this kind of shit, right? Interesting. You know, that's even, fascinating, actually. And the thing is, ESPN, more or less, it, ESPN's relationship to the NFL is Fox News's relationship to the Republican Party. Yes, right? yes, exactly. <laughs> Any position they're having, particularly on air, is the NFL position. Yeah. And so I do think that something seismically has changed in the organization where Dan is fucking up the profit margin by not doing the real by being an impediment to the NFL's real estate scams within Washington, D.C. and being an impediment to the revenue sharing that the owners, you know, want because A, he won't do the real estate scam and B, his team sucks. (laughs) Yeah, right. And and I think that that has finally pushed this to a potential breaking point where they might actually get rid of them, you know, and Dan has taken preventative measures. And, you know, I mean, it's really we're in an interesting spot. That's what I'll say. Uh, I really I really uh, (laughs) I really love the quote where he uh, he said that the NFL is a mafia too. Mm -hmm. like that. that, That's pretty funny Um, because we all know it is. But like, you know, if it's like kind of now outright being said in the article by like a quote, like this is like getting escalated. Obviously, these like internal politics are becoming externalized. Right. And, Mm -hmm. you know. There seems to be a conceited effort to force this guy out uh, because he's just kind of fucking up the money. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the same time, uh, there's like a real bigger story, right? That's Mm -hmm. that's, that's been there, you know, for years, right? So, um, yeah. Dan Snyder fumbling a really like the most bulletproof position you can be in, which is a sports owner. I mean, like, my God, like in the NFL, like in the NFL, literally cannot be gotten rid of. Like, you're, yeah, you're, you're I mean, like, that, that, you're people, people say that and like, even if you're like rich, it's hard to buy sports teams because it's essentially like getting knighted in America. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's even little more than just like if you can afford it, like you said, you have to be of a certain class and actually be, you know, accepted into this group because it is such a statement to own an NFL team. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um to do that you have to do a lot of politics to actually even like you know get an owner to sell to you and for that to be approved by the whole you know nfl uh board and other owners right so um not to say that i don't know if like the other owners like approve that but it's at least the nfl commission will have to you know approve the deal so i mean it's i think it's a big fucking deal for just like all those uh people and now roger goodell himself allegedly to um you know try to aggressively and externally now force him out yeah and you know and to be fair i mean this is like the kind of like we have to kind of leave the morality aside uh dan is a giant piece of shit and uh but the thing is he is as big a piece of shit as every other fucking owner in the league and They're whoever all would take like over lizards position, like, like yeah. people people worse human beings ever created. nfl teams like literal like you know fucking like psychopathic lizards like yeah. who are yeah, not to sound like alex jones but i mean like that's kind of like what they are dude i'm sorry like so the start of jerry jones fortune 
So JJ is from Arkansas originally, and the start of his fortune was that he went into black neighborhoods in Arkansas and opened up small grocery stores. And he had a grocery chain that literally only serviced black neighborhoods. And you oh, say, so like, he was a, he was a man of the community, is what you're saying. This is how he portrays it, right? Now, the thing to understand is, Ar- we're talking the 19, you know, late 60s, 70s here, right? Arkansas extremely segregated, you know, spatially, right? And grocery stores wouldn't operate in black neighbors because it's considered a loss, right? You know, uh, and also you didn't want that image of being the black grocery store. Jerry and his lizard brain realized, oh, no, if you go into the black neighborhoods, what you do is you buy all your food on extreme discount, meaning that it's all either already expired or expires in like a day. And you sell it at three times the price because they have nowhere to fucking go. And that is the source of Jerry Jones fortune. Oh, awesome. That's where his first million came from, right? And like, these are the type of freaks that own NFL teams, right? These people are fucking animals. Like, and uh, the, you know, it'll be interesting to see where the story goes. Just know nothing will change about the NFL, you know, as a whole. Right. Yeah, this is not some sort of like fucking like proletarian revolution like yeah. against like the fucking like oligarchy of the NFL. Like this is very much coming from inside the house, right? But, yeah, and it literally just comes out of money. Like Dan's not getting replaced by Bernie or something. Dan's no. <laughs> getting replaced by yeah, you know yeah. whatever. Yeah. Maybe maybe this is where uh, Elon's oh, going next. Oh, <laughs> what what was what was is AOC gonna become the owner and they're gonna call it the Washington Wokes? <laughs> one of the rumors is that part of what's fueling this uh new sort of uh energy on the part of the owners to get rid of dan is that jeff bezos might be wanting to get in the game now there's certain like issues because amazon now is the contract for the god awful thursday night football games uh but cringe bring back nfl network bring it back also get rid of thursday night football it sucks ass uh it's never been good and this season has been brutal but uh yeah yeah that that jeff might want to be in the in the market for team now the thing about washington is you might say who gives who why do people care so much about washington it is and it's like Core Fundamentals, one of the most profitable franchises in the NFL. Uh, Dan's just doing a bad job running it. But like, it, it has an enormous fan base. There's a lot of money in that region that can easily be tied up in the team. Because they know. have, they have like the whole DMV, right? They mm-hmm. have, they have like, which is like you know, like Maryland, Virginia, and DC, mm-hmm. um, and plus like you know the outer regions of that too. Um, you know, I think like Carolina kind of picks off some of it, but I you know that's a, it's a pretty like, you know, hefty mm-hmm. market that they have there. Well, and whereas all the, you know, you know, the reason why the Lakers, part of the reason why the Lakers are such a fundamental team to the NBA business model is the the fact that they draw in the celebrity crowd and all that kind of shit because they're in L.A. Uh, the reason why Washington's such an important team of the NFL is they draw in the whole like national state right like yeah congressmen go to the games to be seen so that people you know uh don't think they're not manly or whatever yeah right uh, right you know uh when the president calls into like when nixon wanted to call in plays he was calling up the washington <laughs> <laughs> like uh you know the freaks He's just from, like me for real for real <laughs> yeah when the freaks from langley want to do a you know class trip to a sporting event they're going to watch you know the washington football team right so 
it's very important to the you know the NFL. It you know it requires a lot of federal goodwill to not like hit them with anti-monopoly fucking you know <laughs> regulations shit like that like they're considered the nfl is considered a non-profit like this like, i was about NFL, to say brian yeah they're a non-profit and they're 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 doing it for not-for-profit needs all right yeah the nfl you know exists off of a lot of federal goodwill and you know the the washington football team is a big part of that and um you know, I mean, that would that would explain Jeff's interest in it, by the way. But, you know, it, it, yeah, we'll see how it shakes out, I guess. But uh, the funniest result would be Dan releasing all this information that he's dug up. Uh, but also, if you find uh, that Dan has mysteriously committed suicide in his apartment, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, maybe that happens, too. So we'll it'll be see. a boon for, you know, uh, certain Epstein podcasts to you know, yeah. have a new thing yeah i i hear 50 percent of that podcast really likes football too so they'll yeah. you know <laughs> well you know in uh cheerier news uh in uvalde texas kids oh, went back, god. Kids went back it, to man. school again munya <laughs> oh fucking god so, I really thought there was gonna be cheerier news to end all right yeah let's do this yeah, so I just want to do a Uvalde update. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about it on the show, and a lot of things have happened, and it just kind of feels like we're at a point that we can sort of do an update of what's gone on. And, you know, again, just to sort of rewind the tape back, uh, the shooting was obviously in May. Uh, the police, you know, essentially worked as accomplices to ensure as many people got killed as possible. Um, since then... Uh, you know, uh, in July, there was a report that Angeli Hernandez, who's the woman who the police are trying to keep out of the school, who just like jumped the fence and went and got her kids. Right. And became sort of a, you know, a bit of like a national hero or whatever for telling the police to fuck off and actually rescuing her own kids, uh, rescuing her kids. Uh, she's reported that the police are now harassing her in Uvalde all the time. They follow her around. They park their car outside her house and shine the lights in the house. People mm. familiar with Eric Garner's death. I was about in New to York. say this sounds very familiar. Yep, this is what police do. Um, couldn't be bothered to stop the shooting, but certainly can spend all their fucking waking hours making this woman's life miserable. Uh, they've, uh, according to her, you know, uh, she said that uh, they told her they could arrest me for tampering with an open investigation of an active shooter. So they've been threatening her with arrest. Uh, she's actually like a lot of people in the area is trying to just move. The problem being that she's a farm worker and it's fucking difficult. Uvalde uh, is a very, you know, for people who don't understand, Uvalde is a very poor city. Um, and it's not even it's really difficult for people with money to move. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, like, seriously, it's like an actual difficulty for people, even with like, you know, savings to move. So I can't imagine, yeah. you know, if you're working, in Uvalde, which is just a poor city in general, especially as a farm worker, like that, that is just. Yeah, I don't, do you have to go into like credit card debt to do that? Like, I, I don't know. The day that shooting happened, she was picking in the fields when she heard about it. She like left from the fields to go to the school, right? So, you know, Uvalde, it's only 16,000 people. It's not a very big town. It's, you know, 80% uh, Latino. 
uh, you know, 14% white, right? And the median household income is $41,000, which to give you an idea, the national median household income is 65,000, right? So mm. significantly below, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's just a poor place, right? Um, but so people are trying to move. It's very difficult. Uh, Later in July, the Texas House released their report on what happened in Uvalde, and it was actually surprisingly scathing, um, condemning not just the Uvalde uh, School District Police Department, but also condemning all the other agencies that were there, basically saying that you could blame all of them, really. Uh Things that came out, you know, shooting lasted 73 minutes. There were 376 cops on site, right? Uh, Bortec, who is the border, which is the Border Patrol, like SWAT team, spent 37 minutes planning uh, before they, you know, burst the door and stopped the shooter, right? So even the hero, the quote unquote heroes of the story, uh, pretty ignominious facts on the ground regarding their behavior. Um, but there was, other interesting details. One detail of the Texas Ledge report was, as we predicted on the show, so longtime listeners got to hear all that information months before the report came out. Uh, everything the cops said was a fucking lie. Wow. See, this is the type of um, you know stuff that you can hear on our show because we are right about everything months exactly. before it is like accepted as correct uh as proven time and time again just like we were right on the fed uh when it comes to cops uh we we haven't missed yet so exactly it's i mean look honestly it's a little like shooting fish in a barrel to say the cops are probably lying um (laughs) but uh, when has that ever been wrong to be honest Mm -hmm. but uh literally point by point everything the police reported about that day uh going on for weeks afterwards is basically a lie I'll, I'll just highlight two of them that are interesting, which is the pol- you know the uh, police claim, DPS claimed that uh, a police officer had engaged the shooter outside of the school, and that that police officer had even been wounded in the in the process. Uh, trying to stop the shooter before he went to school, that was all entirely made up. No police officer engaged the shooter at all. It's just all completely made up. The thing to wow, understand, I saw is- so many epic Reddit posts about like ah, <laughs> uh, those cops were or pussies but this brave like soldier mm-hmm. came in there and like confronted uh <laughs> the shooter let's let, let's all give up those to this hero you know yeah. like <laughs> and that sort of combined with the idea that the shooter was like uh wearing a steel suit like in lethal weapon 2 <laughs> or whatever and like the bullets are just bouncing off of, like he's like fucking iron man like, or oh something. my god yeah um, just like unloading clips into this guy and it's just fucking ricocheting yeah yeah uh all of which turned out to be a lie i mean the interesting thing about that particular lie though is dps was saying that all day the day of the shooting and there's literally no way they could have believed that was true right like they would have had to have triaged the guy on site they would have had to have like sent him to the hospital right all that kind of stuff there's literally no way they didn't know that was a lie every single time they told it. Right. But they did it anyways. Right. Yeah. Cause they can. Yeah. And another interesting one that's just worth pointing out again, just one of probably hundreds of lies in the report that you can pick out. Uh, Police swore up and down and told the press over and over again that a teacher at the school had left a door open for the shooter. And that's how the shooter got in. It turns out that's not actually true. That what happened was the teacher who was outside, which you have the video of, saw the shooter and went 
immediately went back inside and shut the door as per policy, but the locks on the doors didn't work because of maintenance issues, and that's why the door was unlocked, right? But interestingly, the police, again, you know, having no reason to believe their own story, so again, knowing that it was a lie, were telling that story purposefully to divert blame from themselves to the teaching staff of the school who I will remind people are the only people who tried to stop that shooting. Right. Yeah. And the police were directly trying to blame them for the shooting and essentially bring, you know, the wrath of the community and stuff down on the teachers who actually, you know, several of which were shot in the fucking thing, you know, Um, just to show the grotesque nature of uh, what came out in this report. I mean, again, pretty shocking stuff, actually. I thought the state legislature was going to, you know, they're going to have to, it was going to have to be bad news one way or the other, but I kind of figured they would uh, smooth it over a little more, but uh, it was actually pretty shocking stuff. Given all that, the school district still waited until August 24th to fire the police chief of the school police department, (laughs) uh, a fucking moron named Pete Arredondo, uh, he also, when he was fired, finally decided that maybe he should give up his city council seat, <laughs> which he was sitting on the fucking city council. City council uh, people love to be comps. Like, I always yeah. remember that, like, the chief of police in Portland's also the mayor, you know? Like, that's just like, <laughs> just, just like a really funny thing to know. It's like if, like, Carmen Best was, like, our mayor, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, incredible. I mean, honestly, she would probably get elected mayor. So, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She just knew there's more lucrative options down the road. But, uh, but Arredondo's well, kind yeah, of. I mean, go ahead. Well, I mean, Bruce Harrell proved that you don't have to live in Seattle to be mayor. So, you know, <laughs> like she, she could run for Seattle mayor. Exactly. Um, Arredondo's kind of an interesting figure, too, in that he had previously worked for the Webb County Sheriff's Department, which is Laredo, Texas, down on the border. Uh, Laredo is like a real city and stuff, but uh, while working there, he was originally second command, but kept getting demoted because apparently he's a giant piece of shit that nobody likes. And wow. uh, apparently on his that res- says a lot for you know the <laughs> yeah. line of work that he or you know quote unquote work that he's in. You know, yeah. Think of all the stuff we said about sheriffs on the show, right? Uh, yeah. Apparently, the sheriff later came out and said that they were never contacted by Uvalde Independent School District because. Uh, if they had been, they would have told them not to hire him. But the hilarious part was apparently on his resume, he told the Valley School District that he had like personally overseen two hostage negotiations in Laredo. And I guess what actually that worked out to was while he was in Laredo, there were two hostage negotiations. He wasn't He's just there like me. at any of them or anything He's like that. He's just like me. <laughs> yeah, he was in the county, though. Me as fuck. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, um, you know, uh, I I was I was there when the uh when the Navy SEALs when they shot Bin Laden I I was I was I was there. (laughs) Meaning I was like I I was on CNN at a specific time and saw the news getting reported uh, for the first time, you know, and like (laughs) and really, folks, I mean that's kind of the same thing, right? It you know so this guy's a fucking moron, uh, but the Valley School District. I mean, how do you have that on the resume and you don't call to double check that? I mean, what what sounds more like a fucking lie than that, right? That, that's you know? a very verifiable 
thing mm-hmm. to claim, right? It's not something that's kind of like a white lie on your resume. It's something that you can really easily look up or call someone because they would know the person who actually did negotiate down, like, yeah. you know, someone twice. Like, that's like a very big career milestone for people in that line of business. So, yeah. And like, it's the- not like it's just a paper pusher who, like, no one would know who did what and no one would care. Like, they would know instantly. Yeah, if if that had happened, he wouldn't have gone to Yavaldi. He would have moved from Why the would he County be to a different place, right? To a bigger city, You'd right? go to Dallas. Yeah, right? He would have gone to a, a more important city, right? Because that's the that's the career ladder that he was clearly trying to climb. And I mean, people could say like, oh, the, the Webb County Sheriff is just saying this stuff now because, you know, Peter Donda is such, you know, becoming this pariah. But like, you know, before all that, he demoted Arredondo multiple times until he basically forced Arredondo to leave, right? So I don't think there's any love lost between these two guys. Uh, so, I mean, I think he's right. The, the Uvalde school district just never fucking followed up on this shit and just made the guy the head of the fucking police department, right? I mean, this is the thing of like, Arredondo's a giant piece of shit and he certainly should have been fired much sooner than they did, uh, which we can get to that in a second, but... Uh, <laughs> As the legislative report says, and uh, as I'll say, a lot of blame to go around in this place, yeah, right? You know, definitely. Uh, so, Arredondo, the, the community was very upset about this because they had immediately demanded that he be fired, uh, as well as the rest of the police force put on suspended until further investigation. Uh, Arredondo stuck around basically until like more damning information came out and the school, di- the school district was basically forced to fire him. Uh, they, the school district kept putting off votes, you know, essentially to get rid of him by saying, Oh, we're negotiating with Arredondo's lawyer <laughs> on whether or not we can fire him, which is like the funniest police like thing ever of like the guys are trying to be massively incompetent to the point of getting a bunch of children killed. Uh, but we got to negotiate with his lawyer, some sort of exit strategy from this situation. No one has you know? negotiated with my lawyer. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. tell you that much. You know, when I got fired from McDonald's as a kid, uh, you know, I, I guess I should have gotten some legal representation to help yeah. get me my, you yeah. know, my way out. Who knew that I had like such rights and uh, that they needed to, you know, negotiate my, my leave. That's something yeah. to take with me in the future, I guess. <laughs> But, to, uh, you know, that was just also the prologue to the, you know, what's the start of the school year, uh, which has been, you know, interesting to say the least. Rob Elementary is closed and they plan to demolish it uh, and build another elementary school. They d- said they were going to add this district said they were going to add security cameras and fencing to all the other schools. To be clear neither security cameras or fancy would have stopped the shooting from happening. This is all theater, right? But this is what they claimed they were going to do as of the start of the school year. None of that shit had been installed. Like they were just getting to building the fencing. And so, so which means that they don't believe that shit either. Right. Like the, the value of having that stuff is for the PR to get out there. And once the PR is out there, like it's done, it's it's served its purpose. You don't actually need to execute the thing because they know it's fucking bullshit and it doesn't work and that it's a waste of time. Like I mean, yeah, like the the value is to just say like, ah, uh, no, we're gonna do these reforms that uh, will make you like kind of feel good that you we're like maybe doing something right when in mm-hmm. reality it's like you know actually, uh, 
expanding the panopticon even more of the police state right so that they have more surveillance tools and like a bunch of like nonsense and also just you know funneling money into like the, their friends like contracting business probably too right i mm-hmm. mean like it's that's all it is yeah, and the thing is is that uh you're right and it they did it to placate the parents and shut them up right like anything they could to shut the parents up without actually having to do anything Right. Yeah. As demonstrated by the fact that they had done nothing by the time the school year started, um, which is going to be a recurring theme, by the way. Uh, they what they did do is they supplemented their five district police officers with 33 people from DPS. Now, DPS is Department of Public Safety, which is just another police organization in Texas. Uh, they mainly like serve warrants and stuff. They're generally kind of useless, uh, mm. just like a, a leftover artifact. A lot of times if you do a uh, if you so if you go to the I don't know if it's still the case when I was younger, if you go to the uh, DMV and you got to do a driving test, you have to do it with a DPS officer. Right. Oh, like, interesting. Uh, yeah. Very cool. You have to say. do it with a fucking officer. Like yeah. even when you, that's not how it was in Seattle, dude. It was just like that, uh, I've that's done the driving crazy. test in Washington. You definitely don't do it with a cop. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, wild. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really cool. Do they have a gun say. in their holster when you were like driving and shit. Yeah, they're a fucking cop, dude. Of what course the they got fuck, a gun on them, man. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff, bro. Uh, what? Uh, okay. Well. So they so they supplement with thirty three DPS officers. Uh, so they basically just filled the campuses with cops. Now keep in mind, DPS was on site, one of the first agencies on site at Rob Elementary. So those thirty three cops, because of the sheer number of police that were at Rob Elementary. Every one of those 33 cops was one of the people in the hallway doing nothing while the shooting happened, yeah, right? But right. yeah, they're at the school. They'll keep the kids safe, right? Um, and they also committed to doing more police training because that was the problem, right? This this is the ultimate you know, solution we're going to come to. So it just needs to be more true. The cops just didn't know they weren't supposed to allow the guy to shoot all the kids. Mm. Like if they had only known that, if it only been oh. part of the training. That's Which, by the so way, right. it, it was part of their training. But, you know, I mean, that's neither here nor there because it's such an obvious, like, thing that you should know to do. But um, you'd have to be a fucking inhuman monster or a cop to not get that. But uh, but it left the parents in a really difficult position. And uh, there's been some reporting. Uh, San Antonio Express News, weirdly, uh, I'll say, because it's such a goofy Mickey Mouse newspaper, had <laughs> the best reporting from uh Uvalde's right outside right outside of San Antonio. So it's had the best reporting on this. Uh we'll do a link in the show notes where I'll have everything that's behind the Express News paywall. I'll have just, you know, in a document unrolled. So if you want to read the reporting on this. Yeah. But um interviewing a lot of the famous I mean just to give you an idea, uh here's like one of the parents quoting that really didn't know what to do with their kids when school opened. You know, one parent said, I don't really have an option. I'm planning on going back to work. So virtual wasn't an option. I'm just praying that they are going to do everything that they promised. I'm a little worried because the fence isn't built. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, these parents are really tough spots. I mean, these are working class people who can't just stay home with their kids. Right. They're not working jobs that, you know, allow you to just stay home. Uh, at the same time, like the on, you know, online schooling's a joke. It's make believe it's not real, which these parents understand right nobody actually learns anything online but it's hard because your only other option is to move you know 
And so some parents have committed to that. Some parents are just pulled, pulled their kids out of school. Uh, but most of them have just had to send their kids to school while telling these horrible stories about how like scared they are. <laughs> like basically like having like panic attacks about their kids being at the school. One parent dropped their high schoolers off and then picked them up halfway through the day because they said they just became so like terrified of their kids. They being just at had the a bad feeling. Yeah. They went and you know, had to take them out. Um, lots of kids missed the first day of school, you know, um and the thing is it's like you could say oh well the chances of being caught in a mass shooting are like low and blah blah all that kind of stuff but what they're responding to is the total failure of every public institution in that town yeah you know uh and that is what is scary to them you know yeah when the public institutions completely collapse around them and the trust and faith are just out the window then i mean what else do you have besides that fear right i mean mm -hmm. they've been failed in every single sense from i mean a system their existing system that has already just fucked them right like um and now that they can't even depend on like the the just dangling like threads of public institutions that are still around that are still kind of like there um, that have not been like privatized yet and they're fucking completely, yeah, failing. So, I mean, what else do you have other than mm -hmm. just like, if you have a bad feeling in your gut, like you got to just pick them up, you know, like, um, cause obviously there's nothing stopping it from happening again. Yeah. The police aren't, are, they're still there. Nothing has fundamentally changed. So, and I, yeah. And part of the problem is, is that, I mean, to be clear, if you or I, private citizen, had done what the police did in this shooting, we would be we'd be currently awaiting trial as yeah. fucking accomplices to murder. The police participated in this shooting like that. I think that's the thing that like people don't want to say, but it's a fact like the shooting was as bad as it was because of the participation of the police doing things that they knew we're going to make the shooting as bad as it was. Right. And, yeah. you know, it, that's important. Right. And that plays into the parents fear, concerns, panic, right. Around the situation right now. The police were key accomplices in this. Yeah. This murder this, spree. This crime is not what it is without police participation. Yeah. You know, Minus police, if all if all it was is the parents heard about it and then were left to their own devices to resolve the issue, there's less dead kids. You For know? sure, because they would have actually intervened. Like, yeah. you know, they would have actually intervened and not just been like, "Oh, well, that shooter will just tucker himself out." Yeah, you know, that shooter, you know, it's gonna do his thing in there and then just blows brains out. So let's just, uh, you know, for yeah, the sake of it, let's just wait it out. Let's lock them in, let him do his thing, and then let him just blow his brains out. And I still am not, you know, I don't think it's a 100% like write it down in the history books that Border Patrol agent shot that kid. Like they might have just waited until he shot himself and then busted in the door. Like there's a reason why they were so adamant on no one actually coming in and why no and why they didn't want to come in either. Right. And why, no. you know, it, even, no matter what police organization was whether it was the Uvalde police um you know even border patrol to a degree they got instinct in how policing works is that you know they're first like doing risk management for themselves yeah right yeah and, that, yep. and that's that's very key and yeah. so 
I don't know why it actually, and when you look at policing from that lens of them doing like personal risk management, um, it actually sounds almost far fetched for them to be the ones like, you know, shooting down that kid, right? The risk management position there, that's like the smart scare quotes risk management position to be in is to just like lock them in and like let let the kid like just blow his brains out like they know they do like every fucking school shooter does mm-hmm. right um it's no hurt to them sure some kids will die uh but hey uh that's not their objective right they're legally not there to protect those kids so yeah, yeah whatever and, and uh we're gonna get direct testimony to that and in in here in a bit but uh so you know, there was obviously a lot of trepidation. Uh, the school district seemed to not give a shit really about any of this stuff. Uh, the city itself is pretty much ra- the city leadership has pretty much rallied around the police department uh, at all levels. Wow, um, wouldn't have seen that coming. Well, well, well <laughs> so the thing that I say about Uvalde in every town in Texas is that it's run by a small cabal of freaks um and always has been and uh let's just say their take on the police which we'll read a little bit later is about what you'd expect it to be so uh but we'll get to that here in a minute uh i want to talk about in september 27th this is late september finally some of the parents got so upset about this that they just started camping out outside the school district headquarters right saying that they're not going to leave until the police department suspended the school district police department suspended um, there were right at the entrance. Anytime that an employee of the school district, including the head of the school district, had came in or out, they had to deal with the parents, right? One of the uh the, the head of student outreach for the school district uh grabbed one of the parents go- while going in, like grabbed him on the shoulders, uh, until he was reminded that he was on camera <laughs> being live streamed, basically about to shove one of these fucking parents over because he was mad that he couldn't get to his fucking coffee inside or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, uh so it was it was a pretty tense standoff. Uh the school district hired state troopers to escort uh, the head of the district, which is a guy named uh, Hal uh, Holler, so Hal, Hal Harrell. Sorry, that's not uh, a real Bruce, name. Bruce, Bruce Harrell's brother, Hal Harrell. Hal Harrell. Uh, yeah, not a real name, right? Uh, they hired state troopers to escort Hal Harrell and other high ups of the district uh, from like to and from work, so they wouldn't get hurt by any of the parents. Once again police not you know the police who couldn't protect these people's kids in any way uh certainly have all the time in the world to keep the you know head of the school district from getting yelled at by the parents for having their children murdered uh you know the police can do that right that that's that's doable for them um the standoff got more and more tense uh, the he- Hal Harrell sent an email to parents essentially implying he was going to have the police physically remove the parents from the building property. Uh, that was met with such outrage in the community that he quickly was like, oh, that's not actually what I meant. But we all know it's what he meant. People in the community, by the way, were dropping food off and stuff for this protest. Somebody brought a porta potty so they could use the bathroom because, of course, the district wouldn't let them use the bathrooms, right? So, brought a porta potty so they could use the bathroom, and the district had the police remove the porta potty, right? I mean, oh, yeah, nice. The, the antagonism between the district and the parents of the students the district murdered, by the way, has been very intense, right? Um, so, after 11 days, 
the district finally conceded and suspended the fucking the district police department, right? The five officers of the district police department. Did they do it because of the protesters, you might ask? Actually, no. They did it because in order to expand the ranks of the police department, the district had hired this woman named uh, Crimson Hux Elizondo to join the district police department. She's formerly from DPS. Well, the parents, having heard about the hiring, then started talking with reporters and stuff on scene about who this woman was. Well, it turns out the reason why she was so hot to leave DPS to go to the school district was that DPS currently had her under investigation for her activities on the day of the shooting. (laughs) You see, she's one of the people in the video in the hallway doing nothing, who's at one point on body cam joking with another police officer about how if the, if her kid were in there, she would definitely go in. But implying... Oh, that was her? Since her kid wasn't in there, fuck him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh so, my god, dude, so the, no. Dir- so the direct quote was, if my son had been in there, I would not have been outside, I promise you that. So it was interpreted as both a slight against the parents. Basically, her saying they're <laughs> they're cowards and pussies for staying outside, not Sounds rushing like some into the shit school. Trump would say, like, believe me, folks, I I I, I would be brave. I I would be in there. Mm-hmm. That's a Mark Wahlberg. I would have kept the pl- you know I would have stopped the terrorists. You better believe yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, so. It's important to remember the only part of the police, the only part of the, the 400 cops that were there that day that were doing anything were the cops outside who at times were like beating the parents and things like that, like attacking the parents who were trying to get inside. Right. Um, so fuck her for that. But the other implication, which also was interpreted by the parents, is that if her son was being killed, she would do something about it. But it's not her kid. So fuck them. Now, the thing to understand about Uvalde is Uvalde is you know, 80 plus percent Latino. It's always been that way. It's close to the Texas, Mexico border. It's a picking, it's picking country. It's the Rio Grande Valley, right? People there have always felt felt because it's fucking true that they are treated like shit and considered less than the white people who run the fucking town. And they feel because it's true again, that the white people who run the town use the police department to abuse them and mistreat them and that they don't that the white people who run the town don't give a shit about what happens to them and their kids and things like that by the way that cop just said all that in that statement right the uvalde school district in hiring this woman didn't bother to check the legislature's report if her name came up (laughs) Just do a quick control F on it, right? Or ask around since she was in DPS. Uh, hey, anybody know like what her role was in the school shooting? <laughs> or contact DPS in any way to be like, what's her deal? Oh, she's yeah. currently under investigation. Like oh, she's about to get okay. fired. You know, she's one of the like four cops DPS chose to investigate. I mean, do you think that they didn't know? I don't think that I so the key here is I don't know whether they knew or not. I know one thing they didn't care. Yeah, that's what it actually matters. That's what it comes down to is they just didn't give a shit. She was a body they could bring in who they knew they could hire. And, you know, whatever her background was or whatever, they just didn't give a shit. 
you know, because fuck the parents, right? You know, their kids are expendable. Why won't they just get over it? It's done. You know, the deed is done. Get over it. That's that's the entire school this district's is attitude. This is life, right? Um, so basically, uh, that blew up, right? Everyone stays fucking pissed off. And uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, Mr. Harrell comes out and he's like, uh, actually, uh, we're going to fire <laughs> Elizondo. And actually, I'm going to suspend the school district by what by, uh, the school district police department. But I want to make it very clear. He did this via email. He still will not talk to the parents outside. Interesting. I wanna make it, in the email to parents, he says, I want you know, to be clear. This has nothing to do with the protests. Like this is because of new uh- information that's come to light. <laughs> Like, and I'm not responding. Don't to the claim this as a, <laughs> victory. a victory. Uh the protesters claimed it as a victory, correctly pointing out, had they not kept this issue in the public's mind, had they not continued to push on this, of course this wouldn't have happened, right? And of no. course they're right. You know. Uh obviously the district doesn't want to do anything. They want this to just go away. Um anyways, uh so, yeah, here here's from one of the people at the protest. It's a victory because it took people working together to make it happen. The parents that recognized the DPS officer, the media person that took that information and dug for proof for information to be able to show what the school actually did. And then combining that with what Brett and Nikki Cross, this is the two parents who started the, the protest, did. All of it together was so powerful that the school district had no choice but to do what it did which was fire Elizondo, suspend the police department. And then uh, for, I'm sure this pure coincidence, uh, three days later, uh, Hal Harrell announced his retirement. Just a pre, you know, uh, uh, yeah, look, sometimes in your working career, you just, is my heart in it still, you know? Yeah, you just got to spend time with family, I guess. Yeah, do I still have the strength, the inner strength in me to look at the families whose children got murdered on my watch and tell them to fuck off? <laughs> yeah. Know? And uh, it turns out that he didn't. And so uh, he decided that he was going to he was going to hang up his shoes. But once again, wanted to make it extremely clear. <laughs> this had nothing to do with the protests. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so. The thing is, is that is, you know, the Express News noticed something very interesting at the next school district meeting where they were going to discuss uh, Harold's succession or succession, succession. Talk about a Freudian slip, right? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where they're going to discuss his succession. And the Express News noticed something very strange, which is that a Harold had a fan section, right? People who are cheering for him. And that unlike, let's say, the demographics of the town, Harold's fan club seemed to be overwhelmingly white. <laughs> and Funny how that happens. Again, this gets into a distinct racial racial divide within Yavaldi itself that is directly as it is in a lot of places in America, represented the class divide in the city itself. Um, and the people who control the city and all its organs of state, you know, they are different than the population which the state supposedly serves, right? And that's at the heart of this controversy of the problem here, right? Which is the parents 
want justice. They want something to be done. They want something to be done about all the police officers who were accomplices in the murder of their children. And the functionaries of the state, be it the school district or the city council, whatever, uh, don't give a shit and want them to just shut up so that they could go back to normal. Right. And this is sort of the core of the conflict. Now, to complicate the matter slightly, they did mention that a lot of the teachers they talked to were a little, you know, reticent about Harold being, you know, essentially shit can. Nobody's pretending that he just retired. Uh, being forced out and getting a new superintendent, not because they thought Harold was such a good guy, but because the history of district superintendents previous to Harold was so fucking bad and that they had worked so hard to destroy the school district that they were just nervous about a new one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Fuck, man. Because this this, this is America. Uh... This is how this shit works, right? Is even though how Harold's a giant piece of fucking shit, you are almost certain a bigger turd is about to float down the fucking, you know, toilet towards you. Right. Um, now sort of to bring this to a close. So this is all happening last week, right? Since then, you know, there's, there's been some reports you'd say like, well, good for the Yavaldi parents. Like it seems like they're getting something done. But also, because this is America and you can't end on that kind of note, uh, all the groups of parents have sort of started fracturing into their own little mini groups with their own sort of pet causes and whatever, right? You know, a lot of them working on the same cause, but just in different organizations and all this kind of stuff. Um, You know, so, you know, there's now, I think, five different parent groups working in the area. Uh, I think the causes of this which are important are exhaustion the the school district and the city have essentially waited a lot of the parents out they've correctly said that by dragging our feet being as recalcitrant as possible being as difficult as possible we are going to wear these people out eventually like they're going to have to just go back to work and shut up yeah and that has worked to some degree. Yeah, I mean, it's a very classic tactic. It's not like yep. this is like an innovation or anything. This is kind of like the uh, one of like the uh, first go tos for people you know. familiar with Seattle police reform will recognize yeah. this. Um, <laughs> the other thing that's happened is uh, that Democrats in the state, you know, whatever their intentions have gone down to Yavaldi and done what Democrats always do, which is siphon that energy away from actual action in the city itself, have siphoned it away to their own pet causes. So Beto O'Rourke has gone in and like swept some of these people up to participate in his fucking governor's campaign. <laughs> fucking joke. Uh, all this kind of stuff, right? So essentially siphoned energy away from dealing with the actual problem, which is the structure of the Yuval- of the city of Uvalde, right? Which, by the way, a lot of these parents groups have started pointing out that the real problem is the racism and inequality within the city itself and the lack of political access to the vast majority of people uh, in the city itself. So Democrats helping to make sure that that doesn't become a thing. Yeah, I mean, well, the, the thing about, and I think that I think you know, I've had to come to terms with too, is that as much as, you know, we do talk about 
um, elections and, you know, whether they're, you know, effective or not, um, you know, we still have candidates on and stuff and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we still care about them. Um, but ultimately like, you know, doing like being on a campaign, right. And working on political electoral campaigns, um, is not necessarily organizing is more mobilizing than anything. Yeah. Right. Which is a different skill and it's a different, you know, function. And as much as it's like, you know, um, necessary to organize for campaigns, every single campaign, whether it's Bernie's campaign, um, you know, AOC's, um, they've, you know, tried to say, oh, this is more than just a campaign, right? We're, we're turning this, you know, movement into something. Well, because of the nature of and the ephemerality of campaigns itself and how they're structured, you know, once they're done, um, there's no real, all of that energy kind of dissipating, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, goes elsewhere and gets sucked up because it's not really about you're not really building deep roots and community right Mm -hmm. when you're doing that right you're mobilizing existing connections already to get out to the polls and like you know check a box and that's like it's just a very it's very different than organizing right and yeah to pull organizers away from that into like a um a governor's campaign a, a one that's you know facing a bit of an uphill battle right now um, sure, people can maybe argue like, oh, well, you know, Beto can maybe uh, <laughs> institute change. But it's like kind of missing the point is that, you know, these resources for organizing are limited. And when they're pulled into electoral campaigns, which we've seen uh, change coming from the top alone does not really work, especially at like, you know, like, like a, a statewide level. Um and certainly there are bigger forces at play than if you just work on a big uh, Democrat campaign, right? There's going to be other forces you're up against too, mm-hmm. um, even if they do get elected in. Uh, you're taking away actual resourcing from like, you know, more potentially radical organizing that can institute actual, you know, root causes. And that has long lasting effects when like Democrats suck up actual grassroots organizing energy into the electoral Mm -hmm. sphere it has pretty devastating consequences which is why um you know we say the democratic party is where social movements go to die yeah because that's why that's why is that they're actually there's a finite resources for organizing and once that's sucked up into like an, an electoral framework um that social movement is pretty much gone yeah, you're essentially organizing people into a organization in the Democratic Party that fundamentally cannot do or deliver on the promises of that organization, right? And the ultimate result of that is that people get, uh, you know, they get disenchanted, right? And they just leave politics altogether, right? You know, uh, they yeah, because why wouldn't permanently they? demobilize, right? That's, yeah, that's that's the that's the literal effect of of mobilizing people into the de- and organizing people into the Democratic Party, right? Um, yeah, is and is I, that? And I want to be clear, like you know, uh, as the Bernie pessimist from the beginning, uh, and I just said the Democrats would never allow him to be president. Or whatever. I still said that, you know, I was, I was still a promoter of people working the campaign or whatever. But the thing is, you have to think about what goals are, and the goal can't be the impossible goal of having Bernie be the <laughs> Democrat nominee for president. It's never going to happen. Sorry, but not because you know whatever. It's because the Democrat Party just won't allow it. Like, sorry, yeah. it's just never going to allow that to happen. Yeah, no matter, I mean, you can you can try and bend the rules as much as you want. They control the rule book. They'll just tell you no. Right, it's, but, it's a uh, private entity. They can do yeah. what they want. 
Yeah, they'll do what they well, want. It doesn't they don't, mean they don't not want them, so do anything. Them. And there's but, a reason why me and Greg flew to Iowa still, right? Like, yeah, I, yeah, that's what I think. I, that's what I mean. It's like I think doing that stuff is good, but you have to do it with the correct goal in mind, which the correct goal in mind is to meet other people that are interested in doing political work. They're excited and start talking to them about like developing that those politics and maybe start hinting you know this idea of like man what if we could do this not around a political like a yeah. politician's campaign what if we just an ephemeral campaign what if we can in, just do this yeah yeah with like actual and, human beings and it wasn't centered around the fucking democratic party a organization of fucking trolls you know yeah. like uh and you know, I think that's the value of it. Now, this gets to another big issue about why these groups are sort of fracturing and falling apart, which is that there is no other left organization to take up any sort of organizing space that is something more useful than the fucking Democratic Party. Yeah, there's no but, left. There's no left in general. Yeah. Previously, this would have been the labor movement, which is a different thing than the Democratic Party. Um but that's not a non-existent, right? And of course, there's a, no like large left political parties or anything like that. So you have a lot of people that are doing political activism for the first time. You know, they are operating under all the misconceptions that Americans have about political activism and everything like that. And of course, it's you know, I mean, they've done a lot of stuff that's like pretty incredible actually up to this point. But you know, there will be a dissipation of this energy. Uh, just because everything in the deck is stacked in the state's favor, right? And in the city's favor. Uh, but it's, you know, it's it's just hard to see now. And hard to watch, right? Um, but it's why you have to build actual, like, left organizational, you know, movements and things like that uh, outside of the Democratic Party. Now, that being said, I wanted to give you a little taste of what the people who run the city of Uvalde think about this whole situation. This is from a letter to the editor in the Uvalde leader news uh, from local business owner and pastor, Kenneth Dirksen. So those are the twin heads of, uh, you know, the hell, the, you know, the dog that guards the gates of hell <laughs> for capitalism, right? <laughs> local small business owner and pastor, uh, like, belongs against a fucking wall but anyways yeah, yeah. <laughs> his letter is titled grievance this is from last week his letters titled grievance hustlers okay i'm listening the tragedy in uvalde has affected many people it is heartening to see so many coming to the aid of those wounded and the families of those killed and those that helped in the process investigations are ongoing and memorials are being planned which are appropriate in the process of healing Oh, that's good to hear. No. Oh. Yeah, this is all this right. Good. Uh, this may not be as bad as I thought it was. I saw yeah. a small business owner and it just, you know, it really threw me off. But let's 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 just see what he says. After all right. This. Cool. Yeah. But we can't give in to the grievance industry. There are people who continuously agitate for various causes. Often their purpose isn't justice as much as self-aggrandizement and enrichment. This is seen in the organizers for Black Lives Matter. Now, I'm going to point out, not to say that Black Lives Matter is the sole property of black people or whatever, although maybe it should be, but <laughs> just point out, there are like virtually no black people in your body. <laughs> like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? But anyways, you talk uh, about Fox just, News. I mean, Fox News. It's, that's what he's it's about. just, yeah. this is, yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking yeah. about, like, basically, like, straw man of, uh, 
you know, people who are at the top of like the Black Lives Matter like organization, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, grifter grifter like Twitter activists who were, yeah. you know, at Ferguson and shit, right? Uh <laughs> or claim to be <laughs> at Ferguson. Who who knows if they even were, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um who uh are accused of like just stealing a lot of money from GoFundMe's and shit, right? <laughs> like uh, um a typical Fox News talking point, but also something that really has a valid criticism from the yeah. left too. Like something yeah. that I think is like the big problem with the nonprofit industrial complex in general, and like you know, yeah. just like aimlessly, like you know, when people say like Black Lives Matter, like that's like uh, you know, a slogan of a movement, but really, like you know, Black Lives Matter is like a um, you know, a, a private like organization that is Mm -hmm. not really from like elected leaders or anything it's like it's it's kind of like a big you know grift in a way of like the black lives matter llc or you know the nonprofit that is like being ran under that name moniker right Mm -hmm. um which people have enriched themselves after by you know getting donations from people actually looking to help right that's a real thing that mm-hmm. um has happened um to use that like kind of real story and say that um yeah everyone who's in any movement at all is just a fucking like weird grifter who's just going to exploit it um is like not only cynical but just like fucking stupid man like yeah. i mean like it, it, it's it's incomplete bad faith in this case yeah and you know what he means is that anybody who protests anything is like a soros agent is what he really yeah. wants to say it's an op yeah. right like yeah. I, this is this is like astroturfed op by like you know the the soros cabal who's um you know <laughs> yeah. this is not real you guys are all like paid like crisis actors basically mm-hmm. And so let's, uh, we'll continue here. Tragedy was left in their wake as communities are still dealing with the destruction left behind. So he believes all cities were burned down and, you know, oh, yeah. 2020 or whatever. Yeah. Little to none of the money donated for those causes got to the people who suffered loss, right? True. I mean, and look, I, look, I'm sorry. You, you're in America. Uh, every organization is full of grifters. <laughs> like, the, this country is full of grifters. Uh, the, any, yeah. like, the, the whole idea of, like, just, like, donating to, like, a fucking faceless, like, nonprofit or even, like, you know, the Red Cross. I remember when, like, you know, um, you know, the donations were happening to, like, the Red Cross, and they said, like, you know, uh, we have enough money for this cause. Like we are kind of going to spend it on something else. And they got such like severe backlash from that. They mm-hmm. had to walk back that they, like, Oh, uh, we can't actually use money for this because everyone wanted to just donate to for nine 11, uh, yeah, for yeah. like, you know, 3000 people who were killed. And so we need to use like this, like 30 million dollars, uh, like <laughs> that yeah, we like have just to- on, on this. <laughs> and like, we can't use it on anything else. Right. I mean, it's like, uh, it's a very, uh, is not uh, uh, it's it's the least that someone can do is mm-hmm. to probably donate uh, money for something that is like an active movement that's happening, right? That's not like just like you know like uh you know commemorating someone's death or you know a funeral or something, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, something that you you can actually like, be on the ground for. Like donating money is great, and people should um you know look to do it. But at the same time, uh, America is exactly that. Like you're not Mm going to fucking be getting like high integrity things because they're just you're in a system of capitalism that exploits anything. And one of the big things is wherever there's a large pot of money, there's going to it's going to attract people like that. 
Yeah. Like, that's yeah, what, this country's full that's, of grifters, right? That's what this country is. It's Grift City. That's like, that's like yep. the last frontier that's still open in America right now mm-hmm. for the fucking American dream is to just grift your way through and hope that you can just like coax a fucking rapper into buying parlor, buying your husband's <laughs> social media app. Exactly. Like that, that, that is the American dream in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, you know, always good advice that if an organization is asking for donations rather than participation, uh, they're probably just stealing your money. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go ahead and continue on with Mr. Dirksen, who I'm sure has uh, a lot of good points left here. Uh, Mr. Dirksen, as a community, we need to reject the grievance hustlers. By the way, if this was like 20 <laughs> years ago, this would have been race hustlers if this was 20 years ago. Race hustlers. Yeah. yeah. If someone cannot work within the order of society, they should be rejected. If they think, <laughs> by the way, he's he's referring to the people camping outside the school district office here. Yeah. Uh, if they think the laws and ordinances of our city are unjust, they should work within the processes to change them. I wonder Causing- why people like in power um, always recommend that you would work <laughs> within the system to change it. I wonder why that is always the case. That, is, that the- is their preferred method. Well, it's a classic thing. I mean, you could take it all the way back to like MLK's critique on liberals or whatever. But it's this classic thing of whatever protest you're doing, no matter what it is or how you do it, that's always too much. You yeah. Know? Like, like we want to take you seriously and we want to, you know, believe it or whatever and respect you. But whatever well, you're, you're doing too is too far. much. Yeah, it's always too Becoming far. too rowdy. Yeah. No matter what you do, it's too far. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, causing disruptions to get attention is immature and unproductive, you know, says the man, like, writing a clearly provocative letter to the local paper. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love this shit. Like, he's essentially just saying these people are children. Why? Like, How is he like, not, no, the children like, are the dropped, ones who got killed. You know? How is he not, like, dropped the word woke yet? That's what I'm impressed by, because obviously this guy is, like, Fox News poison to shit, right? I kind of like, wonder, so newspapers do lightly edit letters, and I kind of wonder if maybe that got cut out. But yeah, like... Yeah. I mean, I feel like this letter was probably more strongly worded originally and uh, either either on paper suggestions or the paper itself, like edit it down. But um, people need to lay off the police. Here we go. This is where the beat is here. Yeah. They're, lay them off. I, yeah, agree. I agree. We should lay off the police. Lay yeah. off the police. That's the new slogan. If D, if defund was too radical for you guys. All right. We'll we'll compromise and just like have our slogan be lay off the police <laughs> well his next says there are processes for review of police activity it must be allowed to work and it's like the complaint of the parents is there was zero effort to ever have any sort of review of what the police were doing and the only reason that there's going to be a review of what the school district police did is because of what the parents did but yeah always trust the process again this is uh-huh. this is classic shit the process that got your children murdered Yep. That one, right? The process that was literally doing nothing and never has done anything. Um, yeah. But yeah, this time this time would have been different. If only you hadn't, you know... If only they naughty. were civil. Yeah, if only they were civil, they would have, they would have uh, helped them this time. Mm-hmm. Police officers aren't perfect. Oh, man, you're telling me. Uh, <laughs> but we need honest law enforcement more than ever in these crazy times. Okay. And, uh, you know... Are, are you implying that they're honest? Like, are you saying that you need like honest ones? Like, I, I, I it's not really clear from you know that statement whether this guy knows that they 
are literally the most nationally disgraced, dishonest, like police department, even in the context of police departments, you know, like, <laughs> um, yeah, if we need honest policing, um, you're not finding it there. So yeah. fuck off. In every city where progressive agitators claimed grievance against law enforcement officers, the result has been disaster. The communities are suffering more over the long term than what the original tragedy brought about. So I guess what he's saying is, uh, you know, look, sometimes you have to murder some George Floyds to make an omelet or whatever, but you should yeah. just shut the fuck up about it. Right. I wonder if this has anything to do with the fact that the victims of these tragedies, as he says, uh, don't, you know, uh, let's just say he doesn't find particularly sympathetic. Right. <laughs> you know, um, now it's interesting. I mean, it's worth reporting that like, or worth saying that newspapers don't just print any old letter that gets sent to them. They make choices, right? Uh, they make choices based off of whether or not they agree with the letter, quite frankly, uh, whether they think it's going to give them juice or whatever, uh, and whether or not they think there's a constituency to hear the letter. And, you know, I, I didn't read this just to point out that Kenneth Dirksen is a giant piece of shit, which he certainly is. But to point out, this is basically the feeling of the business community in uh, in Uvalde. Right. And a lot of these parents that have been going to bat against the district and things like that, demanding that the city council do something to investigate the police officers that were there, all that kind of stuff. They do report that. You know, one of the effects of this is they get harassed around the city. So people, you know, drive by. One of the reporters who was at the protest mentions that, you know, as uh, as they were sitting there talking to the people, somebody in a truck drove by and screamed out the window, move on already. So essentially, like, it's been hmm. it's been, you know, you went three months or whatever, four months since your child was murdered. Why haven't you gotten over it yet? Get over Just it. move on, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, people, there's some of the time about how going to the H E B, they have people yelling at them. Uh they also report though that, you know, what one of the uh women who was heading the protest at the school district reports, you know, how she went to the gas station and some guy came up and asked her if she was Nikki Cross, which she said yes, and before she could figure out what was going on, he just paid for all her gas. <laughs> you huh. know, like bought her gas. <laughs> right. So, you know, uh the you know a lot of the yelling that they get uh you know around town is that they're dividing the community and in a way they are right they're highlighting the inequality in the you know in the community in the depravity of the people who profit off of that and are demanding that it continue yeah so um uvalde still not great folks yeah still still bad Maybe we'll get a Yavaldi sucks show going over there or something. Yeah, yeah. That, shit, man. That would be a real bummer. Well, it's late as hell. This was a jam-packed episode. We recorded a Patreon last week and then just forgot to mix it and release it. <laughs> so this is our sorry for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Greg's boat, currently steaming towards China. Uh, so our bad. Yeah, um, whoops. Uh, it might show up in the Patreon feed this week, along with an additional Patreon episode. You know what? This is called patrons. It's called delayed gratification. <laughs> and kids who know how to do delayed gratification tend to be successful later in life. So consider 
this a favor and a gift to you, dear listener, where you we are forcing you to delay your gratification and be patient mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, get keys to success in the future. It's going to make it that much better when you get it. And, oh, uh, it's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, normally this is a very tight ship that we run over here. So this was just a, a, a you know, a one time, I'm sure, slip up from what mm-hmm. is normally a very tight, well-organized yes. ship. Yes. Uh, but uh, for those of you that aren't patrons, hey, look, you know, for a mere $5 a month, you can get new uh, episodes, two episodes a week, right? A secret Patreon episode where Munya tells us, everything we need to know about the dark underworld of New York. Yes. And I give my actual opinion about music, which you only Whoa. hear behind the paywall. <laughs> Y'all better tap in. I will say in the lost Patreon episode, which I guess we'll have to release at some point this week. Uh, we do talk about SUVs and whether we're pro or con SUVs. Whoa. This for all of our urbanist listeners out there. You'll finally get a car opinion from us. So, patreon.com slash mechanical freak it's so hot we had to hide it uh in the patreon all right well i think it's time to to call it a night munia's already got his nightcap on he's (laughs) you know he's he's in his pajamas it's currently 7 a.m in new york uh i think we should call it call it end okay (laughs) yeah good night everybody good night